Good morning. Morning. Uh, would you turn to one another and speak Jesus to the person sitting next to you? Well, good morning and welcome to Maranatha. We are glad you are here to worship together with us. Uh, we have just a few announcements that we want to let you know about. Uh, first of all is our, uh, the safety fair uh, that involves uh, much of our community will be here on Saturday from 10 to 12.30. Uh, this is an opportunity for kids to come and learn a little bit more about uh, the fire department, the police department. Um, some really cool stuff goes on. We'll have uh, fire trucks, police cars, and I believe a helicopter is landing in the field out here. So you want to be here for that. Bring the kids. It's a great time um, and a great outreach for our, our uh, community for us to be able to host that. Uh, secondly, the Women's Braveheart hike in the Blue Hills is this Saturday, uh, the 13th. You can meet here at 1230 uh, to get a ride out there. It's about a three and a half mile hike, so uh, you want to dress accordingly for that. Also, thank you uh, to all those who have helped with spring cleanup around here. We got a lot of work done here uh, yesterday, and we, we have still more to do. So um, if you are interested in signing up, helping around the grounds with you, you can talk to Steve. Steve, can you give a wave? Steve is the big Scandinavian guy in the back. I know that narrows it down. <laughs> uh, but you can talk to him or one of the pastors, and we'll get you connected if you want to assist with that. Uh, Thirdly, for our adult discipleship groups, we're trying to gauge uh, interest for over the summer, so I'm actually in church. Parents, don't freak out. I'm going to ask you to put, pull out your cell phones. Everybody pull out a cell phone. Lance, you didn't, wow, you get extra, he didn't bring his, he gets extra points. So pull out your cell phones and scan this QR code. Whether you've done adult discipleship groups or not, please scan this. This is just, we're trying to gauge interest for over the summer. Um, for what, you, uh, what groups you'd like to join, if you're going to be here, um, and uh, just some overall thoughts on how it's gone so far. Yes, Scott? Hold your... Scott doesn't... How, how old are you? You don't know how to scan a... So you hold up, you take a picture, pull out your phone, and go to the camera. And you point it, and you hit the button. All right, lastly, uh, and if you're having trouble with it, hand your phone to your grandkid and they'll take care of it. Uh, lastly, our, we always try to celebrate something every Sunday here at Maranatha, and we want to celebrate uh, what God has done in our Awana year by recognizing some special ladies. I'm going to ask Amber here and Julie Minand to come up and share our celebration this morning. Good morning. Okay, Miss Amber here is our TNT director. Um, she has been an amazing asset to our team. Um, she's always thinking of new ways to make the program better, to motivate your kids. 
um, to make it fun, to um, have a firm foundation. And we are so thankful for her. She sadly has decided to step down as TNT director, but um, Kimberly Robbins has agreed to step up, so we are thankful for that as well. Um, Miss Amber has been the director for six years, and I would just like to give her this as a thank you. It's from Proverbs 31. It says she is clothed in strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. And I just really feel like that embodies Amber here. Um, but now she's going to give us a little snippet of uh, TNT. I would like Katie Sedevi and Rachel Herringer to come up, please. So it's my honor today to present the Timothy Award to two very deserving young ladies. Um, to receive the Timothy Award, students in third through sixth grade compete, complete four different books and memorize over 137 passages of scripture minimum. You can also um, do some extra credit work and um, do more. Um, this past year, we had three clubbers earn the Timothy Award, um, Rachel Herringer and Katie Sedevi, along with Brielle Baltz, who is not able to be here with us today. And the girls got to pick to pie um, a leader of their choosing as kind of like an incentive um, for all that hard work that they did. So, Rachel, who did you pick? I picked my dad. Why did you pick your dad? Because, um, I wanted to. <laughs> Okay, that's a good that's a good um, good answer. Katie, who did you pick? Pastor Aaron. And why did you pick Pastor Aaron? Because it's funner to pie someone other than your parents. <laughs> we joked that Katie was a little nervous that she might get some extra chores if she picked a parent to pie. Well, <laughs> pie him again. Should we do it again? <laughs> Okay, well, girls, um, congratulations on the hard work you did. May you continue to hide God's word in your heart. Their trophies are beautiful, so if you pass them, congratulate them and ask them to see them because they are very, very pretty. Let's recognize these girls' hard work. All right, and now I'm going to invite... Pastor Cody to come up, and uh, we're done with Mark. Everybody say, oh. But it's okay. There's more books of the Bible to enjoy. Well, good morning, everyone. And I say good, good, good morning. If you could take your Bibles before we get into Philippians here, go to Psalm 73. I say good because today is a good day. This past four weeks, I've been asked often, what is going on in this world? In fact, this morning, I stopped in, talked to an officer, and he was frustrated. He's like, what, what's happening? And I don't know if you 
you probably didn't know, but last night we had a deputy that was killed in a county next to us. And many law enforcement are just saying, not again. And it was a long night. But listen to me. Remember, got my stuff, got in the car, went to St. Croix County, and had a couple agencies calling me, we're talking, and every time I wasn't on the phone, I was going through Psalm 73. So I encourage you kids, when you memorize, that's just not so you can get awards, I know that, but it's so that way when you can't pull out Scripture, you've got it in your heart. And this was my anchor last night. And there's just chaos in the world, right? How many know that evil is all around us? What's going on? I, I, so I'm going to read this here. Not going to take much time. Don't want this to be like, oh, a big downer. No, 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 no. This is what we need. We've gathered the troops together today. And no wonder in God's sovereign plan we are doing Philippians coming up here. Here it is, Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Hebrew poetry is great. I'm not here to do a big study on Hebrew poetry, but the ending and the beginning are the anthem of what this is about, okay? And the middle. Truly, God is good. Never, never forget that. Amen? Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But, I just love how raw he is here. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold in that truth. For I envied the arrogance. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles, it seems. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity. The evil <clears throat> consists <clears throat> sorry, of their mind knows no limits. <clears throat> they scoff, speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues lay possession to the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them, drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. And here's his trouble. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. In vain I've washed my hands in innocence all day long. I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. Then he says this is important. Like, if I have said this out loud to the the people of God. I will speak thus. I would have betrayed your children. So in our troubles, we go to God first, right? 
When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. And here's where verse 17 is the change, people. All of this, we could walk around going, what is going on? Because truly, it's evil out there. And sometimes our minds can get caught up in the nastiness of this world. You turn on the news, and I tell you what, it's time to turn off the news, right? Because what does he do? Verse 17, until I enter the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin, how suddenly they're destroyed, completely swept away by terrors, as a dream of one wakes. So when you arise, Lord, <clears throat> you will despise them <clears throat> as fantasies. When my heart was grieved, my spirit embittered, I was senseless and arrogant. I was brute as a beast before you. Oh, and here it begins the crescendo, the beauty of this year. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, unlike where the wicked go, right? You will take me into glory. Amen? Whom have I of heaven but you? And on earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. Amen? My portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell all of your deeds. I don't know if you were able to be or watch the funeral of the officers we had a couple weeks ago, but here's what I said in my opening prayer. I said, we want to have answers to the why, and we may not have those until we get to heaven. But what we have right now is maybe more important than the answers to the why. We have hope, right? Hope in God. And that's what we must teach our children and their children and experience in our hearts. Amen? So would you pray with me? Father God, we come before you and I'm broken again. But you are the strength of my life. You are my portion forever. Without that, I would be ruined. And Lord, we, we do pray for the deputies and all the agencies that were there last night. Be with them. I thank you that they have four chaplains. I was able to meet with them and encourage them and help them through this as they get to... It was great last night. We just stopped and everyone prayed. I'm sure there's many in that big room that they've never prayed probably in their lives, but they took their hats off and we prayed. Lord, you are hope. Yeah, the, the world is going to spin out of control, it seems, in our minds. We might want to just be like, what's going on? But you're sovereign. Evil is on a leash. You're in control. And you are good. Surely God is good to those who belong to you. 
pray for the families and the deputies and even our officers here in Barron County who feel like this trauma fatigue just will not let go. May this bring them to you, Jesus, we pray. Amen? Amen. All right, so little did you know that we are in the middle of a series. We're beginning the middle of our series. We have gone through the book of Mark. Now we're going to go through the book of Philippians. And then we're going to end up in the book of Acts. So here's kind of how I penned it out for us. When we went through the gospel of Mark, it was about following Jesus. Following Jesus as a disciple. And that's what we want to learn. We want to learn to follow him his way. His way of caring for people. His way of sacrifice. His way of following the Lord, his Father. Now in the epistle of the Philippians, we're going to be looking at living for Christ as a servant. And then, when we finish that, we're going to go into the book of Acts, showing Christ as a witness. Because our goal is to know him, to follow him as a disciple, and then to live this Christian life that we have as a servant. And then, in the book of Acts, how to show this great Savior to the world as a witness. And I'm excited about this. The question I thought of is, what does genuine Christianity look like? What does it look like? And I, I want to caution you, because you might think, well, it looks like, you know, the way I'm living it. I'm not asking your brand of Christianity. Because when you look at even church history in America, or even right now, in different regions of America, there's different brands, you could call, of Christianity. And we, even here in Wisconsin, we have, you could call maybe a brand or a type of evangelical Protestant Christianity. Or even our church has a style of Christianity. What does genuine Christianity look like? Or, it could be phrased this way, how to be Christ-like in the midst of the different demands of life that we have. And that's what the book of Philippians, or the epistle here of Philippians is like. It's interesting, when I was in college, I remember as a freshman, we had to take a class called Biblical Hermeneutics. And it was an exciting class. We had to read this really thick book that I never read. Uh, read part of it. It was too, too thick for me at the time. And part of the class was halfway through, they said, all right, the, the, the teacher, Bill Mulder, said, all right, what I'm going to have you do is outline a book of the Bible. And in my mind, I'm like, well, Philippians 1.21 is my favorite verse, so let me outline Philippians. So I went to him and said, I'm going to do, do Philippians. He said, nah, don't do that. I'm like, what? He goes, for your first book to outline, don't do that one. That was a tough one. Then I said, Romans. Because I thought that would be harder. He goes, do Romans. So I did Romans instead. And you would think that Romans would be tougher to outline, but not really. Paul, in Romans, is very logical, thinks through. He's got chapter 1 through 3, then 3 through 5, and then 6 through 8. He's got kind of these sections. Very easy. He's thinking through this. Where Philippians is very different. It's kind of not random, but it's, it's kind of a harder book to outline and to kind of follow. Because he's got these little chunks, and we'll, we'll kind of see this as we go through this. Philippians, living for Christ. Most of you rose your hand saying, yeah, it's evil out there. And I tell you what, we need to be grounded in this word more and more. Amen? 
And God has called you to be lights in this world living for him. And I'm excited to go through Philippians. We're going to go through Philippians end at the end of November. So we're going to take a paragraph at a time, chunk at a time. I'm not going to do word or verse at a time like I would like to do. We're going to go through it pretty quick as we look at living for Christ. So let me pray again before we get into the word, all right? So join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this next part. We're in the middle of this series. First we did Mark. Now we're in the middle of this doing Philippians. There is so much here for us to learn, for me to learn. And I'm excited, so guide us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 1 here, 1 through 2, just an introduction. And my goal this morning is kind of give you a feel, an introduction of Philippians, where we're going to go with this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. So first of all, who is Paul? I wrote this down here. Paul, an apostle and church planner, who wrote this letter during his house arrest while in Rome. So this is written a bit later in his ministry as he was in Rome in house arrest. And we're going to get more into his life. I thought about taking a lot of time who was Paul, understanding him. But I'm going to save that for the beginning of chapter 3. Where there Paul kind of says, hey, here's kind of my background. Here's what I was like before I met Christ and his understanding. So we're going to take more time doing that when we look in chapter 3. But know this, Paul's story is a life of redemption and salvation in which Jesus totally transformed his life. And through this epistle that we go through, I want you to realize that your life is a story of redemption as Jesus is our great Savior. And he has this amazing testimony showing that no one is beyond God's saving grace of the Lord. In a few minutes, we'll understand here his relationship with the people in Philippi. Who's Timothy? Wrote this down. Timothy here appears as Paul's most trusted assistant over, for over 20 years. So we read through the New Testament here and we understand looking at the book of Acts, looking at Corinthians, looking at Timothy, we, we realize this relationship that he has. And we'll talk a little bit more about Timothy, but Timothy's this young guy, and we can read in the New Testament about his professional and personal relationship. I love how we got different books in the New Testament that show examples of their relationship as they went through ministry for over 20 years. And we see this in teamwork, we see this in mentorship, and we even see this in failure and great success in ministry. And I, I've, as I went through this this past couple weeks looking at their relationship in the different books, I was just like very encouraged. And it made me realize how blessed we are at a church. And, and a, a lot of times you don't get to see this, but I tell you what, we as pastors, we as elders and staff, we have such great relationships right now 
that are so beautiful that help us through many aspects of ministry, through teamwork, through mentorship, through failures and success in ministry. And that's an example of what Paul and Timothy have. Notice it says this, it says, servants of Christ Jesus. This is very important, that titles and attitudes are very important for those who are in leadership. Let me say that again. Titles and attitudes are very important for those who are in leadership, coupled with humility. Coupled with humility. In fact, that's kind of one of the themes as I've gone through this many times. The New Testament word doulos, so that's the word here, doulos, can be translated in a couple ways. Most Bibles have it as servant, slave, bond servant. These are the ways that you can understand this phrase doulos, this word doulos. Doulos conveys the idea of a person being the slave or servant of another. And when Paul used this as a title, it conveys that he belongs to God and serves with absolute allegiance to God the Master. People like Paul, Peter, and James use this as a title to describe themselves as ones who completely belong to God. He is my Lord. He is my Master. And at times, like in Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says that he's a doulos of Jesus Christ. He's a slave, bond servant, or servant. And when you look at the book of Romans, you can see Paul is probably used conveying this word doulos not as servant per se, but more a bond servant, a slave, because this word shows up also in chapter 6. He's a slave to righteousness, not to sin anymore. We're here in Philippians. I personally would see this more to be a servant, not slave, but servant, and we'll see this more in chapter 2. It is significant that he chooses not apostle. It's me, Paul, and I got my little guy with me, Timothy. I'm this great apostle that you guys have met before. He doesn't do that. Instead, he centers on this deep reality that he completely belongs to Jesus and is a servant just like Christ was, as we'll see in chapter 2. So, servants of Christ Jesus. Love that. Now, Paul's relationship to the people at Philippi, it says there, to the ones in Philippi. So let me give you a rundown of the events that led up to the occasion of this letter. So what what I'm going to do is I've kind of typed up a page and a half here, a little narrative of what was going on here. So take a look at this map. In fact, if you have Bibles that have maps in the back, go to the back there if you could. Some of the first maps will be Israel, the temple, tabernacle. You'll see kind of Moses and some of the maps that go to the next couple ones. You'll see the time of Jesus, Jerusalem. Then go to the next map and you'll see some of these are labeled Paul's missionary journeys. Paul's first missionary journey was actually, so down here is where Israel is. He kind of went up to this Asia area on his first missionary trip. 
And he founded some churches in the southern part of this area here. He went there proclaiming the gospel, the good news, the great message of Jesus Christ. This is in our modern-day Turkey. Lystra, Derby. these are the areas that he went to. Then, I know you're just at that map so you can kind of see that. Now if you could go to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. So after his first missionary journey, then he wanted to go back again and visit these people, the, the people that he led to Christ, the churches that he helped start. And this is what we would call his second missionary journey. In fact, it begins at the end of chapter 15. So at the end of chapter 15, we learn about his second missionary journey that he began in Asia Minor. And this second missionary journey goes from the end of chapter 15, 16, 17, and 18. While in Lystra, he met Timothy. So he goes there. I got it circled down there. That's where he goes there. He meets some of the believers there. And some of the older believers are like, hey, we got this young guy who's a firm believer and well spoken of. He met younger Timothy. And Paul then decided, oh, I'm going to grab Timothy along here. and We're going to go along. And his goal was to reach this area here, this, this Asia mine here, this, 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 this area. That was his goal. He wanted to do more in the area, but the Holy Spirit kept him from doing so. He has a plan, but the Spirit kept him from doing so. Then God one night gave him a vision. And in this vision, God said, I want you to travel over to Macedonia there. Travel over, and I want you to share the good news to those people there. So in obedience to the vision... He made the decision to leaving this area with Silas, Timothy, and Luke. And they got in a boat and they went over and crossed to Philippi. His first stop was a Roman colony, Philippi. And we'll talk maybe a little bit more about Philippi in, in the future. But it was a very important city in that region. A very important Roman colony. He gets there and he's talking with people and he meets a group of ladies and there, they understand, finally, the message of Jesus Christ. He met a group of faithful Jewish women. He proclaims the Christian gospel message. And they receive the message. And he establishes the first Christian congregation in which that part is what we would call Europe now. And it appears in the other writings, and even in this here, that Timothy is very fond to this group of people here in Philippi. He's well-liked by them. He has a significant role in the work here, and the natural bond was created between him and the people in Philippians. Among the first believers who struggled along were several women, an important figure, Clement and other laborers. So the church begins here. It's wonderful. But I tell you what, ministry is not easy. Paul experiences some troubles. He experiences hardships. It's not pleasant. Conflict. And then imprisonment. Still, Paul uses the situation. We don't read about all the details here, but he alludes to it here in the, the first chapter. He uses the situation to share the gospel. And even his jailer turns to Christ 
and most likely becomes a part of the congregation there. Then the authorities ask him to leave. So they ask him to leave, and then he goes to Thessalonica, and he's like, okay, I'll leave. And he continues to share the message there. But during that time, it's very difficult. Paul several times received financial and material support from the church and the believers in Philippi while he was struggling there in Thessalonica. Then he's forced to flee again. Then he goes on to Berea there. and They know the word very well, the Bereans. And then to Athens and finally to Corinth where he stayed for a full 18 months before returning to Antioch. And during his prolonged stay in Corinth, he again received assistance from the believers in the church at Philippi. They became great friends and want to support him. So about a year later then, Paul decides to go on another trip. This is his third missionary trip. And he's in the Jerusalem area, and his desire is this. He realizes many of the churches in, or many of the believers in Jerusalem are poor. They need help. Part of it's because there's a lot of the Jews there that are just giving a lot of oppression to them, so they can't get normal gain that you could. So he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back up here, visit my friends, and help them raise money for the church in Jerusalem and Judea. And this is in Acts 18, Romans 15. But also there was a theological reason he went too. There was problems in Galatia there where people were saying, you need Jesus plus Judaism. And if you read the book of Galatians, you realize that's the major issue that he's dealing with. He's like, no, it's Jesus, period. Jesus only. Don't add all these legalistic things to that. So for sure, he wanted to go, let all the other churches know, just so you know, this is what's happening. Beware of this. There's this threat there that's wreaking havoc in Galatia. And we learn in 2 Corinthians 8 that the people of Philippi, though poor continue to care generously for Paul. At the end of the trip, he brought the finances back to Jerusalem. And people there did not like them. The Jewish opponents managed to get him imprisoned again. And for two years, he waited his fate. And Paul appealed to the emperor himself. And in the year 59, under guard, he sailed for Rome. And that's Acts 25. And during that time, the Philippians felt responsible to help. They're like, we got to help them out. They had some ideas, but they they weren't sure. It's not like they could text them and say, what's going on? Just think even 20 years ago, it took a while to get mail to people. Back then, they didn't know what was going on. And their own difficult circumstances, along with the uncertainty of Paul's status, prevented them from sending assistance. And we'll hear about that in... Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. They proceeded to do their best, but I'm sure they had anxiety. And some of the members wondered, is this really going to help? And that's why we get a part of what Paul is saying in chapter 4, his encouragement. And the apostles' experience in Rome was mixed. 
He found opportunities to proclaim the gospel and defend the gospel among the Jews. And his message spread throughout the guards and beyond. And his boldness encouraged Roman Christians to speak God's word. But his imprisonment was hard. His affliction was difficult, filled with uncertainties, needs, and discouragement. And he was aware that his great friends in Philippi were wondering what is going on right now. They were discouraged. They wanted Epaphroditus to come. And they're like, oh, let's, we're going to send him to encourage us. And he was on his way, but he got sick. And they're wondering what's going on. How could he respond to the church? Because there's circumstances were overwhelming to Paul at times and to the Christians in Philippi. Then he decides, I'm going to write a letter of encouragement, a little warning, but a focus on how to live like Christ in this fallen world. And this is going to be so great for my heart also. So under divine inspiration, the message comes with comfort, with joy to the people. So that's what's happening at this time. All right, let's go back to Philippians chapter 1. To the people in Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. So again, if you recall, this is the first church, the first church that was founded in Europe, Paul did this on his second missionary journey. Then on the third one, he went around gathering money to help the churches in Jerusalem. So he knows them very well. He knows some of the leaders of the church. Now the word bishop or episkopos here, that's the Greek word here, elder and pastor are all interchangeable and refer in the Bible to the same office or group of people. And we see this often. Within Scripture, these three words, and that's where you, elder, where Presbyterians get their name for their church, the Presbyterians. So these Greek words are interchangeable throughout Scripture in the, in the New Testament. We see this for sure in Acts 20 and in 1 Peter chapter 5. So this office is sometimes used by different names. Also, elder is always spoken in the plural. In the, the book that we are going through as elders, that is kind of a summary of the larger kind of book that I went through in seminary called Biblical Eldership, a large one. The Bible teaches that the church is to be led by a plurality of called, qualified men known as elders. So why do they need elders in the church? Why do they even need this kind of leadership? If you go back to... Acts chapter 6. The church is growing. Things are happening. And we've talked about this before. The church is growing in a great way. And the 12 elders, or the 12 apostles realize, guess what? We have so much going on that instead of us actually caring for the poor, because that's what they've been doing, what we want to do is we want to appoint deacons, others, to do the busy work of that so we can help focus on teaching, preaching, and leading the church spiritually. 
It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. It's not like they didn't want to, but their focus was to be in the word and teach that. So it says, brothers and sisters, choose seven among you who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom. And they handed that responsibility to them to do that work so they could pay attention to praying and ministry of the word. So the elder word in Acts in the pastoral epistles use these three metaphors, elder, pastor, overseer, and refer to the same office. And it's a great picture of the responsibility of church leaders. Elders are those who are spiritual and give pastoral oversight. Shepherds of the flock. That's one of the phrases. Shepherd the flock God has given you. Or here they live under the authority of God. So I, if someone says I'm a shepherd, I just go, I'm an under-shepherd. Not an undertaker, that's a different role. I'm an under-shepherd. He's the main shepherd. We always have one shepherd. They live under the authority of God and resemble his character. They're able to apply God's wisdom and word to particular situations and have the ability to promote the value and mission of the church. And that's what we see throughout the New Testament. When you look at all the passages about that, that's what they're focused on. So quickly, I just want to talk about office and function. Office and function of an elder is very different than the office and function of a deacon. That's why Paul says to the overseers, to the elders, and to the deacons. Elders lead the church spiritually by protecting, by leading, by feeding, and caring for God's flock. At our church, we have staff elders. We're once pastors. You call us pastors. We're the ones who are paid. That's our occupation. And we have those who do this as a volunteer. And those are non-staff elders who volunteer their time. Whereas deacons, they're the ones who do the hands-on operations of the church. There's always the joke that we got told at seminary when I was a young kid. Well, still feel young. Maybe not anymore, but... They're always like, make sure that if your elders argue about what color the lawnmower is, they're on the wrong page. Let that to the deacons. Or recently, one of the, the, the leaders of the free church in our, in our area here, in our district here, in the Forest Lakes district, he was like, you know, you've approved the budget for those ministry teams. Let them just run with it. You don't have to nitpick it all apart. The deacons do the hands-on functions of the church. And we here at Maranatha, we don't call them deacons or deaconess. We call them ministry team leaders, and we are grateful. So if we could just for a moment, if I could just have all the elders and all those who are ministry team leaders stand, and I just want to thank you for your role. I get paid to do this, you don't. So if you guys could stand, and we want to thank you for this. Thank you. We are grateful for all the work that the ministry team leaders and you on the ministry teams do behind the scenes. There's no way we could do the ministries without your work. So we thank you.
Now verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is the essence of the gospel message, right? God in his goodness created us in his image, made us good, but we sinned, right? We failed against his holy plan, and we deserve the true justice of God, comma. But he's more than justice, amen? He is grace and mercy. And in that grace and mercy, God sent his only son without sin. He lived the life of obedience all the way to the cross and paid the price for us for those who would believe in him and receive him as the Savior. That's the great message. But notice this, grace and peace to you. Peace is the spiritual realm we live in and the source of our spiritual well-being comes from God. I remember last night it was pouring rain at times. I was headed to Hudson in the midst of all the chaos and I was going through Psalm 73 and I thought of this Not only do I have grace, but I have peace right now. It is well with my soul. Not only are we saved, but we have the benefit of God's peace, our well-being. And how appropriate for us today to end with communion. We here at Maranatha have open communion. And if you did not, Darren, if you could grab some of those. If you did not get one of these, raise your hand up. We'll get some of these to you. We have gluten-free here. And again, these are the new kind of cool cups that we have. And you got to make sure you peel off the first thin layer so you can get the wafer and then the thicker one. Thanks, Jake. Goes to the drink. So if you don't have one, just put your hand up. We'll get you one. and I myself forgot to get one. Did you get one? No, yeah, we're both like, oh, we're busy. Oh, thank you. I'll just give this to you. Yeah, put your hand up so we can see. Again, we have gluten-free here if you want that. grab a handful here all right at this time pastor Aaron's going to come up and lead us in communion communion is an opportunity for us uh, to take some time to remember what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross but before we are to partake of it. There are some ground rules laid out by the, the Apostle Paul um, of confession and being right with God. So um, if you're, uh, we, we, as Cody said, believe in a believer's communion, an open communion. So if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, we encourage you to partake. But if you have something against your brother, that needs to be cleared up before we partake of this. So we're actually, I'm actually going to allow some moments. We're just going to uh, take about 30 seconds in silence.
so you can pray, talk to God, get right with him before we partake. So let's do that together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. And uh, Matthew lays it out for us. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Let's take it together and remember our Savior. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's take the cup together and remember what Christ has done. Now I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up and I'm going to pray for us and we'll close on our last few songs. Father God, thank you for what you did for us on the cross. Thank you for the new covenant covered in your blood to cover our sins, the sins of many, many people. We thank you for that. Thank you, as as you go on to say later in that passage, that you will not partake of it until we are all with you in your kingdom. And that is another promise of that covenant, that one day we will be reigning alongside with you in your kingdom, Christ Jesus. And we ask that day comes quickly. Thank you for all these things in your name. Amen.